Hi, my name is Jeff Pagano, and thanks for tuning in to the Harpen on Rugby podcast. HarpenOnRugby.net is an unofficial fan site for Leinster and Ireland rugby, with regular coverage of the latest news and opinion via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course this pod. If you haven't already, please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts as well as a host of other platforms. Right about now, I'm meant to be doing a podcast looking forward to watching Leinster play the Dragons on Friday evening, but alas, that is not to be. So instead, I've enlisted some contributors to a project I call Retro Rugby, where we look back over great contests from years gone by. The idea is not just to go back over the match in question, but also to see how the rugby world stood at the time. If you look back in the podcast feed, you'll see we've already featured four matches so far, including France v. Ireland from 2018, Leicester v. Leinster 2009, and South Africa v. Japan in 2015. For the fifth installment of the series, I was joined by Michelle Tobin, who did 12 great blogs for us back in 2017, outlining her experiences following the Lions around New Zealand. Today our focus is on the second test, but she also shares some stories from the trip as a whole, and it was a great rugby chat all round. So without any further ado, here's how we got on. Now it's time for the fifth in our hopefully not too long running series of retro rugby pods to fill the COVID-19 void. And joining me to talk all about the second Lions test from 2017 is the author of an excellent series of posts for Harpen on Rugby, outlining her experience following the tour around New Zealand and making her first appearance on the pod is Michelle Tobin. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. No problem. And thanks for coming on. You wrote a great series of posts for us because you actually, you know, you were there on the tour and um, all throughout the, the posts, um, you you talk about you know how you're living the dream and how it was the, it was a dream come true and the, and it really was for you wasn't it? It absolutely was. Um, for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to go on a Lions tour, and the first one had to be New Zealand. It is something I literally have dreamt about since I was a very young child. And for me to do a Lions tour, I wanted to do the Lions tour. I was not somebody who would have been happy to pop out for the tests. The tour in this case was 10 matches from start to finish. I had to do the whole thing. And luckily circumstances just fell into place that put me in a position to be able to do that. So it really was a, a trip of a lifetime. Definitely, definitely. I mean, my thing, um, my thing about the Lions, I tend to be real philosophical. I mean, there's a debate about, you know, their uh, their viability on the um, on the, the world rugby calendar. And, you know, when, when you get into deep discussions about that, I mean, for me, from, from my point of view, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to, I, I'd like the calendar to be more, um, you know, maybe not necessarily aligned, but to make more sense. And if anything had to give, I would have thought it would be that. Having said that, if I could afford to go, and if I was going on the tour, uh, uh, all that would change. I'd say, nope, you've got to keep the tour. In fact, make it longer, <laughs> make it three times longer. Um, the, the, it's, a, it's, a, the, it's an amazing experience. And just reading your, your blog post was uh, really, really showed like how, especially when you're in a group of a group of people you get on with, um, you, you you had a set crowd, but it, was it a kind of a crowd that kind of grew as you went or did you just kind of um, stay together the so whole time? So I went with Rugby Travel Ireland and they operated a number of mm -hmm. tours. We were the Kiwi tour and we were the people who were there from start to finish. So there was 32 of us from all four nations and wow. we had our own coach. Uh, there were times when we would have been closely allied with the Maori group. There was about 45 of them. They came out. Their first game was the Maori game, funnily enough. 
but by and large we were together the 32 of us and the 32 of us are in a in a whatsapp group that we've been in since the 30th of may 2017 and there is activity right. on that group every single day it was it was a bond that developed wow. we were trying to understand how these you know there was nine women the rest of them were men we were from the four nations the youngest was had just turned 21 and we had a number of people in their 60s all sorts of backgrounds and careers and financial positions and everything but the one thing that we all had together we we were all absolutely passionate about rugby to have the time mm -hmm. and committed to the expense of doing this trip and that bond got us you know we did four and a half thousand kilometers on coaches spent lots of time getting to know each other and there really wasn't a crossword then and there hasn't been since that's what it's all about really isn't it and um and of course you know the way the tour went as well it was um i mean there, there were there were definitely ups and downs and uh, sort of a bit of an anti-climax at the end but um like you say yourself it wasn't just the experiences in the actual matches it was the getting getting around to all the venues and having the crack with, with it really you with. was you know looking at the itinerary before we left and you'd see a day where it involved eight ten twelve hours traveling and you think, oh my God, how am I going to survive that long on a coach? But what you don't realize is obviously you've got banter on the coach, you're stopping every 90 minutes or so for for coffee, um, which kind of tended to be alcoholic for some people. You know, it actually started the very first day we were, uh, or the first day on the road, we were heading up from Auckland to, to Bumbarai for the uh, Provincial Barbarians game. And we stopped off in a little town, literally for coffee. We got off the coach and, you know, the group had splintered into smaller groups and uh, one of the locals came up to us and we were genuinely looking for a coffee shop and he said, I reckon you guys want to find the pub. It's up here. I'll bring you. So, you know, we had to go to the pub. Oh, you just had to. Like, I mean, you know, it had to be done. Like, but know, then there were twisted. also, I mean, there were... <laughs> stops you know at at the New Zealand Museum of Rugby there were stops at scenic places but there were also um Rugby Travel Ireland put a lot of work into researching uh, the trip beforehand and they have an awful lot of connections on the ground so we got some we had some fantastic visits to rugby clubs um to to talk to people at local level and there was one in particular at Waititi which you know, I still get goosebumps thinking of because um, that was Kurt McQuilkin's club, actually. And we mm -hmm. turned up and that was us and the Maoris. And we, we, we parked our coaches at the club and we noticed there were a lot of people um, congregated around the entrance. And we were kind of, somebody came back and said, right, you need to do this. This is a, a Maori ceremony. So Donald Lenhin was appointed as our leader and he did the, the traditional, the nose rubbing and all of this. And the, there was a crowd, maybe 30, 40 local school kids who sang a song. And, you know, we sang Fields of Ath and Rye or something like that back. Then they parted on the steps of the clubhouse to let us in. But what we didn't know was as soon as we started walking up those steps, they started a hacker. At this stage, ah. you know, I've, I've seen New Zealand and Pacific Island teams here. We'd been to a, a couple of games over there, so we were used to hackers, but there is nothing as intimidating as walking through a hacker 
of these kids and you know they were maybe 12 14 some of them in your face. face it just it was <laughs> so powerful but this was not something i mean there, there's millions of companies that you can go with on these things and lots of people do their own things but it was those little touches that made our very very special mm, that sounds amazing i mean like back you know back here in ireland we're just getting the actual matches and, and early on the saturday morning saturday morning and wednesday mornings whatever it was and uh but uh, there's so much going on in between that sounds that yeah, sounds it, brilliant those, those are the, the special memories really definitely definitely well, um, when we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the, this was literally um, a, a test series that had everything. I mean, you, you have to say that because it had a win, it had a loss, and it had a draw. Um, but uh, so obviously we're going to pick, uh, if, if we're going to pick one to watch back, we're going to watch the good one. Um, the So what I want to do first is maybe set the scene uh, of what, you know, what the rugby world was kind of like at the time. Um, and I, I want to actually start just to just to make a point that um, the year 2017, and that, like going back to the very first day, January 1st, that was the day that the zero tolerance for high tackling laws uh, came in, the interpretations came in. And obviously that, that was to play a significant part in this game. Um, so that, that, that was just kicking in. And, um, you know, uh, Back home in our back home in Europe, you had uh, England won the Six Nations, Ireland denied them the Grand Slam. Um, that was the year. We'll just brush over what happened in the Pro 12. Um, the, the, but I'll just say the Scarlets won. I think you being a Munster fan and me being a Leinster fan, neither of us want to talk about that too we much. We did make it to the final um, though. The uh, you did. You you got you got to the final, as, as, which was which is one thing. We 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 were, we were kind of stunned at the RDS in the semi final. Um, the um, Premiership was won by Exeter Chiefs, Heineken Cup by Saracen, blah, blah, blah. And it was around this time, um, it was the 19th of April, I think, it was uh, that the actual Lions squad was named with Warburton as captain. And um, obviously, uh, Warren Gatlin as the coach. I mean, he, how, he's been coached since, what, 1836 now at this stage? Um, that's uh, so. So he named the, the 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 squad was named, and then of course they went off to um, off they went when the season was over. It didn't results didn't all go our way going up to the first test. There was a couple of defeats. You'll remember all these games much better than I would because you were at them. They they lost to the Blues. They lost to the Highlanders. They they drew with the Hurricanes. They got a couple of wins against the Crusaders and Chiefs, but it was kind of a mixed a mixed bag. Yeah, those games. Um, it was funny before we went out on the tour. The former All Black out half Nick Evans wrote in the Guardian that he expected um, the Lions to lose all ten of the games. Now part of that was probably to to stoke you know, the, the whole superiority thing of the All Blacks and, and, and of rugby people oh, in New yeah. Zealand, because we certainly got a lot of that. But, you know, we won games that we weren't necessarily expecting that we would, we would win. Uh, midweek teams, the Blues was very, very early on. I think the team, by not having a game uh, before they went out to New Zealand, it they, it was a really difficult schedule to start. We flew yeah. out on the Wednesday, I think. They, they only flew out a day before us. And we didn't have to play a match on the Saturday. Now, okay, the Provincial Barbarians were not going to be the toughest match, but then they, they played the Blues four days after that. So we need to cut them some mm. slack. 
that to expect any kind of a cohesive playing unit or when it comes to understanding calls and and just you know rugby players have to read each other's minds an awful lot of the time and there wasn't really a lot of time to build up those bonds but i think if you look the blues Absolutely. was on the 7th of june the highlanders was on the 13th those were our two losses but you know, we've been in New Zealand less than two weeks at that point. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, it's the it's the. I mean, it's very tough. It's gotten as the years have gone on, it's gotten difficult to compare Lions tours to each other because um, as the domestic season, you know, it get the there's kind of a bunch of games and they kind of push later into the year as well. They go to they've crept into June and um, it, it, there's less and less time between the um, the end of the domestic season and going off on the Lions tour. And uh, like you say, to put these players. To Together and expect them to gel, know the calls, especially when they've been knocking lumps out of each other just a few weeks before back home. It's 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 it's, it's definitely a difficult thing to do, and for them to hit the ground running isn't isn't even you know you can't really expect it. But um, so you consider kind of any kind of success, especially when you're I mean that's enough if you're playing anybody, but when you're going going down to New Zealand to play three tests against the All Blacks, it's it makes it even harder. Yeah, I mean it. The, the amount of traveling involved, uh, both obviously getting there, but even getting, you know, it, it amazes me. Look, if you're looking at the schedule for New Zealand and even looking in advance at next year's supposed tour in to South Africa, there, there's no such thing as starting at point A and finishing at point B and all the games being somewhere in between. So the, it was quite testing even as a supporter the amount of travel there was between games and the team were doing it the exact same way so you know these are human beings you know it's one thing to pull into Dunedin that that's gonna have involved a flight it's gonna have involved um all the flight down to Christchurch in the first place and then internal travel and you're playing a team that settled in the area the team knows each other and uh like what these players did uh to to do so well in that series and say games like the maori all blacks that was being touted in new zealand as the fourth test um you know that was a 32 10 for the lions which was quite comprehensive so we have to give the players and management and backroom team a whole lot of credit for you know getting the show on the road very very quickly yeah oh no there's no no question of that and like even when when the first test came along and um you know the, the result you know what it wasn't great it was 30 15 and um but you know, there was from from that moment, there was kind of two ways the series could have gone. I mean, it could have been a blowout. They could have uh, they could have dropped their heads, or they, you know, when it came to the second test in Wellington, they, you know, they 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 could have like you know gathered together, made the right changes, and 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 have a real go of it. And luckily, yeah, it was the latter. I mean, we we were lucky in in a way as well that New Zealand made the changes they did. Um, ben Smith, who, who I can't actually read his name without hearing someone say Ben Smith. So, <laughs> it yeah, it, it was very that unfortunate that he had yet another HIA and I really admired him for putting his hand up and saying, no, I'm not going to put myself through the risk of playing another game. I have a wife, I have kids. My life could depend on this, you know, so 
I, I think that that, you know, Lions made a couple of changes and, and they most definitely worked out. But I actually think Ben Smith being unable, unavailable for selection was a huge thing because I think Dag just wasn't able to fill his shoes on the day. Mm, yeah, de- de- definitely. And um, there's just one more thing about the first test and in contrast to the second was that uh, the, the, the referee for the first test was Jakob Piper. And... Um, and then for the second test, it was Garces. And I think what we had was, what you saw there was the um, the variance at the refereeing from the Northern and Southern Hemisphere. Obviously, a lot of people have opinions on Piper, and, but I don't mean just the individual people themselves, but it's just the interpretations of the the laws. And in the, the, the first test, you had, there was a lot of talk that the ref, that Piper was given a lot to, uh, given a lot towards the All Blacks and they're interpreting more in their favor kind of thing. And I don't know what's, what was going on there. But then the second test, it, it you, you got it more from Garces as well, so it was a, it was an interesting contrast. Absolutely, and then the third test was flat. So you know, perhaps yep. the the appointments, the sequence of it worked in our favor. Um, I think certainly with with the conditions as well that the Lions were much more accustomed to playing games with around Garces in the rain, um, which which really helped and. I, I think if you're used to a ref um, being in charge of your games on a, a fairly regular basis or even on the games that you're watching because they're in you know, the Champions Cup or they're in the Premiership or whatever, um, you become so much more accustomed to how they, they referee um, the match. But also little things I know... Um, Sam Warburton had said in his book that he'd flagged it with Garces very early that uh, when Perinara was taking, no, Smith was taking, uh, sorry, right, uh, Sam Warburton had, had said in his book that he flagged um, with the ref before the game that when Perinara was taking the ball off the back of the rook or going for a box kick, that the runners were routinely in front of him and actually that was uh, pinged by Garces at least once during the game at very important times. Mm, definitely. And, um, and, and, but the thing, the other thing about it, the, the, the refereeing is that um, it's, of all the, of all the takeaways that, um, that the Lions would have had from this match is that we, we, that the Lions actually gave away a lot of penalties themselves and uh, it was a very high penalty count. But I think, I, I personally thought that played in, I, I didn't necessarily see that as a negative. I think that that played into their, um, their, their attitude going into the game because right from the kickoff, they were, they were, they were showing aggression. They were trying to get into the All Blacks' faces. They were trying to knock them off their game. They were going that little, little bit of an extra mile. And I think that 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 could have even played a part in in the, the probably the most famous incident we in this match. We certainly played um, a lot of the match on on the border of legality uh, times. But I, I think both teams did that. But talking about the Lions, oh, yeah. they took to the All Blacks um, definitely in, in the first 10 minutes. Now, I suppose, you know, you watch the match back and you hear the commentators talk about the rain. It, it rains a lot in Ireland. We think we're experts on rain, but let me tell you, you're not. <laughs> we have nothing like New Zealand rain. 
and the conditions that night were beyond horrendous. Oh, it is worse. I'm, I'm watching the match back. It looked pretty bad on the telly, so it, it really was. So yeah. you know, there were there were penalties given, and um, obviously things like not guns, but for I could not criticize any player for handling errors in that game. Well, certainly there was there was 10, maybe 20 minutes of dry weather in the second half, but in the first half, and going back mm. to the, the first 10 minutes, uh, Furlong made a great run um, into the all-black half. I mean, his leg strength was, was phenomenal. Um, you know, the, yeah. the front row, actually. Their, their physicality was amazing, but the ball ended up with the Toje who knocked it on, which was kind of heartbreaking because it was the first, you know, what seemed like a guaranteed try. If that ball had gone to hand, um, it really felt like he'd have been over the line. But unfortunately, as I say, the conditions really conspired against both teams on the night. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, just right after that happened, uh, Justin Marshall commented that uh, the Lions, the Lions seemed to have more about them in attack. Like, and they were showing, they were showing some signs that uh, that they did have a plan. You know, they weren't just going to try to soak up pressure and uh, and 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 kind of hope for the best. And you know, just just run it up the middle with Warren Ball. They were they were um, they they were getting some serious carries through the forwards like you say there's furlong sean o'brien had a lot of good carries as well and um but they were also running it through the backs and trying to find space out wide when they could so it was definitely it wasn't a case of like a lot of people say oh there was a sending off so of course they won but um the, the, the if you talk about before the the red card incident there was definitely signs that they that the lions did come with a plan and um and that they were actually making absolutely some it, it was um it was fantastic that that game uh, that game it felt like a home game for us and I, I know i heard some of the players refer to it because it was the one game in the in the series where the lion supporters appeared to outnumber the all black fans so really yeah the, the atmosphere was electric and you could see that the, the players were feeding off that, they were feeding off their own energy at the desire to, we're one down in the series, we're not out. And everybody was just giving it their all. I mean, one of the things that really struck me watching the match back was looking at the Lions and going, oh my God, this is absolutely the best team we could have put out on that night and you know every single player stood up put his hand up yeah not everything worked out but from the get-go you could see there was something very special these players wanted to win and they were putting their bodies on the line they it it just it felt almost surreal because you knew from the very start it was going to be something very special. Definitely, definitely, and um, yeah, and uh, like the, the first the first quarter was like was very physical. Uh, the Lions had some chances, but the problem was like the way you were feeling about it at the time was they weren't turning those chances into points in the early stages. And uh, you had Bowden Barrett missed an early penalty, but then he. Then, you know, we gave away some more penalties. We had one at a scrum where Mako Vinopolo gave away one of his <laughs> 50 penalties on the day. Um, uh, Barrett yeah. stuck that over for 3-0. But then we came back. We fought back and got it to 3-0. Um, 
So uh, you know, we're, it's 21 minutes gone. It's three all on the scoreboard. That's you know not as not as good as we we might have wanted after that start. But um, what we were doing was, I mean, Connor Murray was 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 doing his you know doing his box kick thing. There's a lot of kicking because of the conditions, trying to force a mistake from the opposition, and um, we. We got to a stage where um, we had it, it actually it was a loose pass that started all this. It was um, it was Mako himself like kind of threw threw a, threw a kind of a pass, but we got it back. And then we had the the challenge on Watson by Sonny Bill. And uh, I remember when I saw it first, I didn't react because I didn't actually see it because it kind of the kind of the the, the play kind of went on a bit afterwards. But when you see it in the replay, it's just it, well it looks worse as every with time. any collision, they always work, look worse. In, in slow motion, but you know, uh, sitting yeah. in in the stadium, everybody certainly everybody in red clocked the the incident, while all the the All Black fans around us were going, no, that was nothing, that was nothing. But I actually found it interesting watching it back, given mm. that I was watching it with Kiwi commentators, and they there was absolutely no disputing by them that that was a red card, and you could see in slow motion just the fear on Watson's face when he, he closes his eyes, he knows what's coming. He's about to be hit by a brick wall and he's almost praying that he'll be able to get up. Afterwards, actually, the yeah. fact that he wasn't seriously injured and was able to come on quite quickly after he went off for HIA and, and play for a considerable uh, amount of the game was very impressive and played really well as well yeah he played in a, he, he played a big part in the rest of the game that was uh that was that was some he was very he was very lucky indeed yeah but i mean that tackle uh, i did think uh sonny bill was a little bit disrespectful to the ref you know he, he certainly wasn't impressed that it was red mm. but i mean that was clear as day a red all day and well, what interested me as well, it was the uh, it was the assistant referees, the southern. It was the north against south again. You had um, was it? It was Piper again. He was the touch judge, wasn't he? And um, and then you had George Ayub. George Ayub was at the TMO, and they were both trying. You, sh you sure you don't want to look at it again? You will I just show it to you one more time? But uh, Garcez said no. That has to be a red card because if nothing else but the the new guidelines it, 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 they had no choice he got him in the head and that's yeah. it it was a very strange time in the stadium with the card i mean uh new zealand fans are great when they're winning um so moment like that mm. I, I mean it happens a lot you go to any match and it, particularly if it's a, an away match somewhere and and one of the opposition when the home players get sent off you know it's never going to get the best reaction but you know it, it happened and then all of a sudden you had people who were obviously were on their phones and and they had twitter open or they had whatsapp groups from home and and you realized that you know this is the first all black you sent off in a test match in 50 years and you know my first reaction to that and that of many people um around me was hold on a second how many tests did richie mccall play for new zealand you yeah, know exactly. <laughs> um but it, yeah. it was quite staggering that it, it it had been sir colin meads that was the last person that was sent off and i also find it interesting when people use that as it's almost like it's a defense against giving the red card it's like oh sorry he can't send him off because no one's been sent off for 50 years and it's like it's like also when um this this whole thing of oh well it ruins a game i mean it was only 24 minutes into the match so it's going to ruin a match so you, so you can't send someone off 
even if he does a red card offence because of what stage of the match it's at? I mean, that's just, that doesn't make yeah, any sense and, at all. and certainly, I, I don't think you could say that, that it ruined the match because it was actually what the All Blacks did after the red card. That is something that amazed me at the night, uh, on the night, and it, it has amazed me going forward as, as somebody um, hmm. who would have an awful lot of time, possibly more time for forwards than for backs, to see a team sacrifice not just any forward, but Kano to bring the centre. I mean, mm. that was that was mind blowing. You know, we, we couldn't understand why you would do that. Now, as the game went on and you saw the, the All Black defensive lines and at times their attack and you see, yes, this is why you did this so that your, your backs can function mm. as a unit. And, you know, the forwards are are big guys. They'll be fine. But at the time, you know, when you, when you lose a centre, how many teams would actually sacrifice a back row for a centre? If, if the roles were reversed, it, it would happen yeah. quite a lot. If, you know, if a forward goes off, then you have to take off a back so that you can bring on another forward for scrums or whatever. But I, I don't think I'd ever seen a forward sacrifice for a back before or since then. So there, so so that was that, and he was gone, and we just had to, um, we 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 had to, we had to crack on from there. And I think when you talk about you talk about how the All Blacks adapted, I I'm not sure. Like I think the Lions was pretty much steady as she goes in terms of uh, continuing the game plan. I don't think we, I don't think we actually changed that much in the way we were we were playing. We were just trying to um, to to get into their areas of the pitch as much as we could, and. Um, the, the the game went on. Actually, the All Blacks were the next to score. They they went six three ahead. Then we got back to sort of back and forth six three six six. There were um, there were mistakes, you know, understandable because of the conditions. But um, Barrett put them back ahead nine six. But very very key. Um, just right at the end of the right at the end of the first half, we got a penalty. Um, which I thought was interesting at the time. You talk about what's a yellow and what's a red. I mean, we we, we made good progress into uh, into the All Black 22, and Barrett just effectively went off his feet at a ruck, uh, reached in, pu pulled out the ball, and it was a penalty. But uh, nothing was done. I mean, that that's a yellow card in any any anyone's book. But again, because they already had a man sent off, I think Gar says. I gave think a bit that of a break. and the fact that it was the end of the half as well. You know, if if there had been a considerable. Yeah amount of time left uh, he might have been more decisive but you, I think his perhaps his thinking was along the lines of you know it's going to be half time go in and cool down sort your head out because otherwise you come back and this is what's going to happen that's it so so it was nine all at half time and very much very much a contest um what was the what was the atmosphere like in the kite tit ton at at, 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 at half time what, what was that what was the thinking in we the, in were the very the hopeful there was kind of a, a a bit of disbelief that you know this could be on um certainly the all blacks going a man down for the entire remainder of the match gave us even more hope that the team could do it but there's there's one thing of hoping and there's also the this could actually happen and there's a realization and so there there was fantastic it was the first match where there was a real sing song as i said we um we did seem to outnumber the all blacks fans at just that match 
and then so and there was obviously banter with the All Blacks around us. But one thing I noticed, um, I think I'd mentioned it in the blog, um, and I noticed it on the the playback because it was the last game that it happened. The stadium announcers, you know. Rugby is an awful lot more showbiz in the Southern Hemisphere than it, it tends to be here outside of the Premiership. So you have a lot mm -hmm. of music and silly kiss cameras and stuff, depending on where you are. But they had this chant that was supposed to get the the fans of the the super the franchises or of the All Blacks to to get them together in this rallying call, and it would flash up on the screen, and it was supposed to go. Tutira my tattoo tattoo, but we knew lions lions fits in syllable wise very easy. So from the very <laughs> early games, we started shouting over it, and uh, watching the coverage back, I could tell every time it came on. I couldn't necessarily hear the stadium announcer, but I could hear the lions lions, and I, it would make me smile because I knew that's exactly what they were doing. And they actually changed the stadium chant for the last test. Oh, really? So, so it actually you actually forced a yeah. change in the strategy. So, That's brilliant. Um, no, it, it was magical. I mean, it was a really, really horrible night, but nobody cared because you know we'd been a little bit down after the previous week, but knew you know there's still a lot of rugby to be played on this trip. Stayed in it and knowing that you know at, at half at half time the team would have gone in and been able to actually put some more formal plans together to deal with the space that they had for the extra man. So it, it really felt like this was going to be something special. Um, we were excited for the second yeah. half to start and let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And um, now when we got into this, when we got into the second half, um, we saw the um, the All Blacks got a little bit, I mean, for them, they got a little bit more conservative. I think they appreciated what, uh, what they were up against and they started, you know, it, they started kicking a little bit more and sort of like stabbing, stabbing one through for um, for for territory and uh, you know putting up more kicks than that. But um, again, just they still got the first score in the second half. Um, Barrett put them twelve nine ahead. Now he just missed one before that, so they had a couple of chances. We kept you know we kept doing there was high tackles here, offside there, not rolling away there. There was no one one offense we were doing pretty much more than any other but it was uh we just always seemed to to thwart our own chances by conceding a penalty then they went uh, it was 12-9 it was 15-9 then we had um mako uh getting involved now this was interesting because we'd had um we had a what, what looked like a, hate, a late hit on um owen farrell by Taylor, uh, there was a lot of kicking back and forth. When he he put one up, he was hit by Taylor, well after the kick, and then it wasn't even shown by the commentators. Um, but then shortly afterwards, we had uh, Barrett hit, and Barrett went down like a like a sack of spuds. And uh, when they they that got showed several times. Marco, mm. he's he's a phenomenal player, but he's an old style prop. It's act now, think later sometimes, and and that definitely was that. But I think that was. Mm in a way characteristic. Our, the third quarter, our discipline was just all over the place. I don't know whether it was the players were too excited because they too thought something special could happen or there there certainly was a change in the conditions because it was around then that the rain did ease off for a while before coming back later. You know, it, it was an uncertain time for everybody because the risk of losing a player, I mean, going down, having, having been one man up and then you're down to 14 all for a while. The risk then is that actually you're the one who's going to concede because you're not used to playing with 14 men whereas they 
gave Pat half an hour to get used to it. And then mm. O'Brien yeah, had yeah, to go and, off yeah. for the scrum. Uh, so that they could bring on a prop. Yeah, that was um, that was definitely. And and when 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 we lost Mako for that for the for not using his arms in the clear out, he uh, we were already fifteen nine down, and uh, it just it it, just, it I think that was probably a moment when it looked like because you we we've always known over the years that even when you get an edge on the All Blacks, um, there there could be there's always the chance we 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 know especially as Ireland fans there's always this chance they're going to turn it around and it's usually around that 50, 60 minute mark. That um, that that things start to happen for them, and um, it, it kind of it kind of looked like the advantage we were going to get out of the extra man was gone. Yeah, at that um, I mean Barrett, we we were very lucky on the night that Barrett, his his kicking accuracy wasn't fantastic, but he he seemed to get his confidence back, and that that's always a risk when you're giving away penalties all over the park. But the I think the prize was was too big, you know. Lions did get their heads back. And uh, then, obviously, we're, we're looking coming up to to the build up for Falatau's try, which was uh, it was a, a great piece of, of teamwork. And um, going for the, for the try out wide is is always risky. And but I thought Falatau played particularly well. And then the conversion. Yeah, and um, the. The thing about the, the the try, like you said earlier on, the um, the way the team had to c come together. So when you got someone like Sexton, who's who uses his uh, his famous wraparound move, and uh, he's usually he's used to playing for like Ireland or Leinster, where like he's kind of the boss and he's he's his grumpy self and has to. And if you're not in the right <laughs> position for the move, you'll get a bollocking before the next for, for the next series of plays. Um, it was that that dynamic was obviously going to be different with this group of players, but I it, you you often see from these matches when he was playing 10 and uh, Farrell 12 how well they played together and they actually were able to put their put their whatever aside from their from their um, countries and and work together and the wraparounds you could see sometimes it was always sometimes a little bit off but they always had the class to make it work and in this this move in particular where they went from one side of the pitch to the other and like you say uh, found Watson in space he got it down a couple of phases in that corner and then right out to exploit the overlap on the other side it was it was it was it was very good indeed and like you say yourself it it kind of showed like Falatau just put Dag down da Israel Dag was the tackler to get him and just Toby just blew through him and uh, got got to the line it, it was, really it was, was and and it was the beginning of of the belief again and uh, you know you could see the team lifted their heads because this was the start of turning things around you know even with the try we were still behind but we've scored one Hey, there's more out there, and uh, I was a big fan of the uh, the Farrell Sexton or Sexton Farrell 10-12 axis. We'd seen it a little bit in in some of the warm up games, and actually we had to predict the first test team competition on our coach, and I won that. I think I I call I call 12 or 13 of the 15, mm. but I was really annoyed with myself because actually I had the Farrell Sexton 1210 um, in that because I actually felt that was our best combination but should have thought that you know Gatlin wasn't going to put his best two tens on the park for the first test but I was really glad when he did it for this and, and obviously again for the third test because there there seemed to be an understanding and I, I think they played better for having the other there 
they, it was a really important dynamic in this game. Absolutely, and um, yeah, and we 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 saw we saw the element there. I mean, like Falatau, Falatau got the finish, and he he was in the highlight reel. But the way the way, like I said, Sexton did his wraparound. There was a great pass from Farrell to Liam Williams in the build up to that try as well. He just effortlessly like skipped a couple of players and got it got it to Williams in his stride, and he was able to put Falatau through. It was a great great sweeping move from the backs there, and um, he he put the conversion wide, but it was a tricky one from out wide. But then we were only four points behind, and there was definitely definitely a lot of belief Absolutely. back in us then. You know, four points is is one score if you get the right kind of score. We still had a or we were well into the the yellow card. There was about four minutes of it left. So if we if we'd scored five. When, when we were a man down, you know, compared to how we played the rest of the game, then there was a belief that, wait, when he comes back on, actually, um, we can do a whole lot more. And they, it, we suspected at the time that the the team lifted their head and their, they, they got like, it was like someone hit a boost button. But actually, again, going back to, to Warburton's book, and I think Warburton's book is very uh, powerful about Westpac and, and about this game because he, he revealed that actually the night before he, he was tempted or was feeling that he needed to walk away from the whole thing, which was, was eye-opening to read. In talking to the analyst after the match, he said that every player raised their KPIs in the last quarter. That never happens mm. because, you know, your energy is draining, you've got tired legs. And even with the introduction of substitutes, you still don't get an average increase. There's always a drop off. But the Lions lifted their heads. They they got this extra energy, this belief and um, what was about to come was magic. Yeah, definitely. Um, because what happened was, um, we we got to within four, we got within four points, but then um, when when as Mako was going off, the referee ironically actually warned uh, warned the Lions for giving away too many penalties. But we still gave away two more penalties after that, which was weird. And on the the second one, which was for offside. Um, that's when um, that's when Paranera came on for Aaron Smith, and there's also when Mako returned to the pitch. So that was a significant switch at that stage there. But uh, at the same time, Barrett was kicking them back into a seven-point lead. But it, it's they still, like you say, they still needed to find belief um, for those for those last few minutes. And uh, when when we got to a stage where we had a lineout, um, it just in their half, it was just it was another amazing sequence. It was. Um, there was a line out, there was a few phases, and then Sexton just threw this little pop pass inside him. And again, it was the timing that was working perfectly. Uh, George just took it from him and just went deep into the 22 and uh, put it straight on the front foot. And you know yourself, you're against the All Blacks. The last thing you want to do is let them settle. And um, then then, then yeah, Conor if, Murray did if his you're thing. you're going to have a, a scrum half in a position to snipe, Conor Murray is the king of the snipe. Um, but I do think Jamie George deserves an awful lot of credit there. Um, um, you know, that was yep. on 68 minutes and George actually ended up playing the full 80. Now, there was Rory Best in the World Cup last year. He played the full 80 for Scotland and it was like, wow, wow, Hooker played the full 80 minutes. But Jamie, that was against Scotland. Jamie George did it against the All Black. And if he's pulling moves and runs like that on 68 minutes, it says something about the physicality and the fitness of a position, you know, it's not noted for its athleticism. No.
and he didn't use uh, there was four he had was it four unused subs I think he had uh, uh, Ken Owens uh, CJ Stander Reese Webb and Ben Teo all on the bench and uh, they they never he he was like determined to say well Warren Gatlin's a bit like that he's he has his way set and this is the way these are the guys I want these are the way I want them to play and he kind of went a bit old school and kind of stuck with them right to the end and as you say they performed for, performed yeah, for yeah actually I, I did laugh um again the watching it back it was a, a New Zealand commentary team and it was I, I actually made a note that on about 46 minutes they were calling for Reese Webb to be introduced earlier than he had been the previous week to inject some creativity or some spark so then I did laugh when Murray scored the try saying you know we don't need Reese Webb <laughs> you know, absolutely no yeah no he's just completely sold Paranara down the river you, you, there, there's one angle in the replay you see it from right behind right behind the try line and he just he goes one way and Paranara is just completely fooled and yeah, creates the gap I mean Murray he, he was in fantastic form it, it was before his most recent serious injury he was on the form of his life and he, he has such a great rugby brain that he's, you know, those little snipes, the dummies, the understanding of the laws, that sort of thing. It, it's something really special to have in a nine because in a position like that, that try was everything at that time, you know, to, to bring us back level uh, with still 12 minutes to play was was just so important. So so that made it 21 all. It's 10 minutes left. So it's a brand new game. It's effectively nil all. So it's about who and this is the way they'd been playing since the start, trying to force the other team into mistakes. It was about it was all about who was to make the next mistake. And you had uh, a bit of crossing, unfortunate crossing between uh, Sean O'Brien yeah. and, and I think it was Jack McGrath. And uh, that sort of that sort of put an end to it to another to, to another chance for us. So that gave the New Zealand uh, some phases at midfield, and then they dropped it. And then it was uh, there, there was a there was a bit of back and forth. But then we had the big incident at the at the very end. It was uh, Kyle Sinclair. Murray Murray threw the ball at him. Now it was a little bit high, but <laughs> Sinclair isn't the tallest himself, so he kind of he kind of had to jump to get it. But once he jumps, he's in the air. I mean, it's, it, being in the air doesn't mean you're necessarily catching a, a high kick. I mean, if you're in the air, you're in the air. And um, they went for a low uh, they went for a low tackle, and that got him got him in the air. I mean, it was a, it was a penalty all day long. I thought Garces explained think... it pretty well. You know, it, it was a difficult one. Yes, letter of the law, he was in the air. But actually watching this back, I, I stopped and rewound this incident at least 10 times to watch Pao Mahina's position. <laughs> and it he was absolutely right. He had committed to the tackle while Sinclair was on the ground. Now, it's still he still took him out of yes. the air. He still completed the tackle. But you know what self-respecting All Black is going to drop out of a tackle when you know you're in the final few minutes of, of a game and it chances are a different referee might have let him away with it. Oh no, definitely. Yes. I no, I, I I agree with that. I mean there was a there's a degree I think what they I think what they're trying to do with the laws is they're they're trying to say that if you if he says that he didn't see where the player was when he's tackling then they're, they're trying to say that you have to take responsibility. If you can't see where he is, that's you still have to own that. They're putting the onus on the tackler. You know, it's uh, it's it's it, it definitely is a tricky one, and uh, it was a, it was kind of a shame to have something so controversial to 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 bring about that um, decisive penalty. But like you say, it was to the letter of the law. It was uh, he kind yeah, of had to get and us. and you know, getting a penalty is, is no guarantee. Uh, Farrell obviously did 
converted given that it, it was pretty much in the middle of the pitch but there was still just shy of three mm. minutes to play and three minutes is a long time in a rugby match so that yep. didn't it didn't have to dictate the outcome of the match the all blacks being the all blacks still could have drawn or won that game it just i think they were dead on their feet relatively speaking having been that man down and also at all blacks some teams don't react very well when they're not winning or when things are going against them and they do slightly tend to drop their head and i think here people they they didn't believe in themselves at that point and and all we had to do mm. was try and hold the ball and preferably in in their half of the pitch definitely i mean they 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 did everything they could to win back the restart and they won it back and they they got a good carry from Sav, uh, Ardi Sevilla, got it right into the, the 22 but the pressure um the Lions were able to settle into their defensive structure and of course, you know, it didn't hurt that they had an extra man. They, um, they, they, they put the pressure on. Eventually, again, it was Murray with one more big contribution. I thought uh, we had, they, we had a line out and they went totally after our line out around our 22. And so it didn't come to me. He, he's used to putting in box kicks after line outs, but this one just kind of fell to him. So he, so it wasn't his traditional kind of kick, but it went straight down almost perfectly parallel to the like he kicked it he was about two meters in from the touchline when he kicked it and right in the new zealand half two meters in is where it bounced it was an amazing kick and uh, that really pushed them back from you know at that stage you're you're into what 79 minutes and the one thing about the, the hooter in in southern hemisphere rugby is there is no doubt when the clock has gone past 80. now ironically they did have in the west pack was a stadium clock wow so we knew that when when the penalty had gone over when we'd gone ahead we knew there couldn't have been that much longer left in the game but we weren't certain how much time so people were again getting out their phones and trying to get onto twitter or onto going, how much time is left how much time is left while at the same time sure sure why why tell the why tell the people who have paid to be there in the day what time what what, what time it is you know so let the guys home at the telly know exactly and it was <laughs> you mad. know it was the do i dare to believe you know this must finish 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 please 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 and then there was a stadium countdown where some section of fans started counting down the last 30 seconds and, and just the magic and all we had to do, I mean, uh, we, we had that line out that um, it looked like we'd made a mess of. Uh, it was thrown to, to Warburton mm. and it looked like we'd lost it, but all of a sudden we had it back. And then we were up in numbers and it was a matter of counting down those last seconds and, and who better than Murray to just do the job and, and put it out and the hooter was gone and all of a sudden it was a case of, oh my God, we've just beaten the All Blacks. It's an amazing feeling and it's an amazing way to end the match. And um, yeah, like you like you made a good point there that it was the, it was the numbers that, that backed up Murray's kick. That was the key because I because I noted that when when they took the free it, it eventually dribbled into touch in the 22 and they took a quick line out but there were seven jerseys in the 22 ready to confront him uh, Bowden Barrett I think when he got the ball then from that line out so there was really nowhere for him to go it was a, it was a great it was a great team effort considering it was the last few minutes of the match yeah well it you're talking about making as I say make making history I. It, it's the whole adrenaline surge that we we all get in times of 
of fight or flight, but also of um, elation and the belief that you can do this. And you could see, you know, there was going to be a brick wall. The All Blacks were not going back into our half and we were going to win that match. Yeah, it was an, it was, it was an amazing finish and uh, it was all good uh, camaraderie all around you with the, with the New Zealand fans and stuff. Did you get a lot of, uh, did you get any feedback as you were leaving the stadium? Uh, we got sort of begrudging thanks and congratulations as they rapidly exited. You can see the Lions people, there was no rush to get out. This was the make history. There was lots of hugging, be it with people you knew or people you didn't know. There may have been tears. It was fabulous. But I think actually one of the photos, the um, info got a fantastic picture of CJ Sander jumping off the bench. And it, okay. it's pure. I actually bought it. I don't tend to buy um, many sports photographs, but it just sums up the feeling of every single Lions player, team member, supporter that was out there. Just pure joy. Um, you know, it, it's Brilliant. it's a memory. And that, that was something people kept saying. We were here. We've beaten the All Blacks. We were here. Uh, that, that, it was absolutely, absolutely amazing amazing finish to the match um well that was brilliant yeah what what do you think of this talk of uh, possibly having a decider um before the south africa tour next year against the all blacks given the mess that the rugby schedule is currently in and i think it's ambitious to think of anything like that and i think it would do a disservice i mean the draw was very strange those last couple of minutes mm. in eden park were absolutely surreal you know, we were again. There was an issue with clocks and not knowing if Quash had had blown the final whistle. And is it a draw? What what happens if it's a draw? Is there going to be extra time? It was very surreal, but perhaps fitting that it was a draw. Um, I I don't think you can have a decider when you have different players. Um, you know, Absolutely, players from both yeah. sides that that have retired or that are not certainly level anymore you know three years on you, your Lions team going to to South Africa next year hopefully um th there will be people who were in New Zealand but there'll be an awful lot of fresh blood as well so I think it would be a disrespect to the squad of 2017 to to do this for showbiz you know when it comes to that uh, 2021 tour itself like uh, all fingers crossed and everything all going well you, you plan to go out there yourself absolutely yeah? uh, it's it's disappointing that certainly South Africa and they're talking about Australia being shorter tours of eight games rather than ten um, again mm. part of the excuse being used is scheduling and certainly even had this COVID-19 not affected everything you know we're still playing catch-up after the World Cup but the fact that it's shorter and actually one thing that I'm not as keen on with the South Africa schedule is that the way the midweek games fall, they finish very early. And there's um, there's a week between the last franchise match and the first test, then another week to the second test, then another week to the third test. Whereas, you know, there there was a, a game on the Tuesday before the first test. There was a game on the Tuesday before the second test. I, I'm all for more rugby, less holiday, but I'm I'm not everyone's uh, type of rugby fan. There are people, obviously, 
with with South Africa, it'll be closer. It's a shorter journey. It's a shorter trip. It's cheaper than New Zealand. Um, you'll you'll get a lot of people who will try and combine a lot of tourism kind of adventures. Um, yeah. Whereas I'm I'm all about rugby if there was 20 matches i'd be happy i hope it pans out for you that's uh, i mean we can only just cross our fingers and hope at this stage i suppose but um we'll, we'll see we'll see how that pans out so um yeah that was a great chat michelle thanks very much for coming on the pod um hopefully we can have you back on talking about actual contemporary rugby <laughs> um sooner rather than later but i uh, know that's great to have the rewatch um i put a link to your uh, post from the tour diary in the program notes so um, anyone can get on and, and and have a read of that and um Listen, I want to say thanks for coming on. Um, you're on Twitter as at Cork Seashell, right? Yes. Yeah, if anyone wants to um, check out, check out, check out your check out your post there, and um, well, thanks, and we'll have you on again sometime. Thanks That's very much. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for sticking with us right to the end. If you're listening, that means you're just as keen on rugby as I am, so I'm sure that just like me, you can't wait for the live actions to start again. Though not only because we're massive fans of the sport, but also that it should mean life has returned back to something remotely resembling normal. If you have any thoughts yourself on this or any other match, feel free to leave them in all the usual places. Otherwise, keep an eye on the podcast feed and we'll be back with more Retro Rugby chats soon. And as always, you'll find all our latest content at harpinandrugby.net. In the meantime, stay safe everyone. Slán.